Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast, where the conversation is about fresh ministry ideas and innovative approaches. I'm Dennis Weens, your host. I'm Vice President for Ministry Partnerships at SAT7 USA. If you know of a fresh ministry idea or an innovative approach, be sure to let me know. I'd like to invite you on to uh, share about your idea and how it's making a difference. Well, November is National Adoption Month, and it is more important than ever because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And there are over 2 million families waiting to adopt in the U.S. alone. And I'm excited to have the executive director of Lifeline Children's Services, the largest adoption agency in our country, who believes that adoption is essential for building the future of families in America. So, Herbie Newell, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Dennis, I appreciate you having me on, and I'm thankful that you're taking this time here in November to just pause and, and really look at ministry to orphans and vulnerable children, but especially about the beauty of adoption. This awareness uh, was started by President Reagan in 1984. He initiated uh, awareness to Adoption Week, and then it was President Clinton in 1995, I believe, that extended that awareness from just a week to a whole month. November every year is National Awareness for Adoption. And so uh, just talk to us about what that means to have a national day of awareness for this important issue. Yeah, well, and I mean, I, I go back to 1984, and many may not know about Ronald Reagan is that he and uh, he had adopted. So Michael Reagan, his son, uh, who still you know is a, a popular conservative radio host, was adopted in by Ronald Reagan and his first wife. And so adoption was at the heart of President Reagan. And then even in uh, the late 90s, uh, Mary Landrieu, the senator from Louisiana, was a huge proponent of adoption. And she is actually the one that lobbied her friends, the Clintons, and asked them to take it from a week to a month. And and I think what both Mary Landrieu and President Reagan saw was that in our country, the the, the fabric of our country is family. Um, you know, government does not exist for the stability of our country. It's families uh, that that exist for the stability of our country. And when we have vulnerable children, when we have children in foster care, we have children without the stability of a family. Adoption is that beautiful uh, piece that comes and brings restoration and reconciliation and brings a child into a family where we believe uh, that they belong. And, you know, as we look at currently the two million families that are waiting to adopt, I think that's a, a big answer to what we see the question that's hanging over us right now in this post-Roe world after the Dobbs decision in June, which is, are there enough families to adopt children uh, that will be given the chance of life now because of the Dobbs decision? And unresoundingly, we can say here in November, there are over 2 million families that stand ready, willing, and able to adopt. And you know what's interesting about that number, Dennis, is those are the families that are wanting to adopt right now that are right. at a place where they've done uh, taken a step towards adoption that doesn't include advocacy for future families that would step up and say oh absolutely if there's a need we will help fill that need and so i think it's a a beautiful thing not only in a pro life ethic to look at national adoption month but it's also a beautiful thing to celebrate the gift of family the richness of family. And so I would encourage listeners, even if adoption is not a part of their story or their family's story, that this is a great month 
to really reflect on the importance of family in our history uh, as part of our faith, but also as a part of, of this great nation that we live in. You know, I think of adoption, I think of kids waiting to be adopted, but here it's families waiting to adopt. And so I think that's a, maybe a paradigm shift. It is a paradigm shift. And when you look even back to the 80s, uh, when when President Reagan you know, announced in 1984 the National Adoption Week, uh, if you read about the Reagans, Michael Reagan's adoption, while it was talked about and celebrated within their family, it was a very private thing. And so we've seen, even since the 80s and in a short 35, 40 years, we've seen this idea of adoption really grow within our in our country and within our people. And I think that's something we need to celebrate. I mean, uh, the United States of America is the number one uh, country in the world that is bringing children that are orphaned from different nations around the world into our country, into families. And we have more domestic adoption in the United States than any other country with domestic adoption in those countries. So adoption really is a mainstay, but it's also something that the United States is leading the world in. And that just shows the care, the compassion, uh, but also these adoptive families desire to one, start a family or to continue a family, but also to do it in a way that's not looking only to their own interest, but looking to the interest of another. So if we look at the the numbers, I know UNICEF, which is the United Nations Children's Emergency Fund, are saying about 153 million uh, children are orphaned in the world. Only about one half of the of a percent are going to get adoption. This is growing. I know they say every day 5,700 more uh, kids need adoption are orphaned. The numbers are growing. What Talk to us about these numbers in terms of the United States and where we are in terms of overall numbers of kids that need adoption. Yeah, so right now in the United States, we have somewhere around 400,000 to 425,000 kids in U.S. foster care, uh, about a third of these kids. So uh, anywhere from 140,000 to 150,000 have had their parental rights terminated, which just basically means that uh, they are a complete ward of the state and they need to be adopted into a family. Uh, Now, what's hard many times when families are looking at adoption about these children is most of them are older. So they're over 12 years old. They're uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. They're teenagers. And uh, we desperately, we need families, even empty nesters or folks that have uh, maybe just launched their children into college that are willing to say, you know what? We're at a place where we could bring this teen into our home as our son or as our daughter, love them and care for them. Uh, Outside of those 140 to 150,000 waiting kids in the United States, uh, in any given year, you've got about 30 to 35,000 private adoptions. So that's where a woman who might be in an unplanned or crisis pregnancy will, will be seeking for a family to adopt. Typically, Most of the 2 million families that are waiting are waiting kind of for that scenario. So Mm -hmm. a woman that is making a direct private placement, uh, my prayer and hope, and one of the things we're really even advocating as an organization, as as a ministry here in 2022 for National Orphan Month and National Adoption Month 
is helping people see that there's a great need in foster care. And we need to really be doing something uh, to come in and to help those children that are in foster care, but also to lift up the lid of families who may be willing to bring in an older child into their home from foster care. So, you know, we do a great job in a lot of ways, but there's still a lot of growth that we can do, especially as it comes to our foster care system. And not just through adoption, uh, right, but also through family reunification, helping families get their kids back out of foster care, but also lo- lobbying and and coming to our state governments for better and more efficient laws so that children do who aren't going to be reunited with their families become available for adoption at a younger age and 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 that families uh, can be more palatable to bringing those children in their homes. I was on your website and I read that 50% of foster families close their home within the first year due to the lack of training. And I know that, you know, a lot of times we think of the adoption as the adoption, the event, but there's so much that needs to go in to prepare for adoption and be in a foster home uh, so that, that we can change the statistic. Um, and you provide a lot of that training to help families prepare as well as help families uh, after foster care uh, long term. Yeah, it's essential. You know, I was actually at a church recently, was able to preach and then afterwards did a question and answer for a, a smaller group of people. And one of the families said, why is there so much training engaged in foster care? And one of the things that we really reached back out is it's a paradigm shift in foster care. Um, a lot of these kids are are coming from potentially traumatic situations. I mean, first and foremost, it's traumatic that they've been taken out of their home. But then second of all, they've, they've been taken out of their home probably for a pretty good reason. Uh, as a matter of fact, in our country, uh, about 70 to 80 percent of the kids that are removed by Child Protective Services from their homes and placed into foster care are as a result of some type of substance abuse um, or alcohol abuse or, or abuse that's there in the home of a substance. Um, we know for, as a matter of fact, that there are many things that people who are abusing substances will do. There's neglect, uh, there's abuse, there's harm. And so these children are coming from places that, that that they've experienced trauma. So it's the trauma being removed, but it's also the trauma of, of, of growing up in an unpredictable environment, um, in an environment where they may have experienced, uh, you know, some type of altercation, either physical or mental or emotional. And so one of the things we really want to do is help families understand what they're stepping into. They're stepping into this child's life. What we have to tell foster families is, you know, you're not just bringing a child into your home and, 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 you know, them coming into your home and the interruption isn't just, hey, we've got another mouth in our home and another person in our home. The interruption is you're actually stepping into the hurt and the pain of that child. That child's coming in with baggage and they're going to unpack that baggage in your home. And so we really want to make sure that we're preparing foster and even adopted families to be able to navigate help that child? Because ultimately what we want to do and help families do is reach the heart of that child. How do we help that child raise above their circumstances? As a ministry, we want to introduce them to the gospel of Christ Jesus, which reorients our life and helps us live not for ourselves, but for another, and especially for uh, the one that made us in his image. And so all of these things are so important if we're really going to be able to reach the heart and the minds and the lives of these children. And Dennis, I think that the reason it's so critical that we lean into the training, that we're prepared, and that we reach the hearts of these children is the stats are staggering. 75% of the kids today that live in U.S. foster care have a parent 
a biological parent that also spent time in foster care. And so if we don't start breaking cycles with these kids today in foster care, the statistics are three out of four of them will be the ones populating our foster care system in 10 to 15 years. And so it's wow. it's essential that we lean in well-trained, well-prepared. Um, I, I think even, you know, one of the passages from God's word that we talk about a lot is, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But Jesus even looks at his followers and he says, Hey, a man that's about to build a tower, he prepares, he, he, he looks to make sure he has the resources we need to, as well, as we look at adoption and foster care to be prepared. And that means training. That means prayer. That means having a community around us. One of the reasons as a ministry, we believe this is a vital ministry of the church to lean in is because as the church and as God's community, we need to wrap around those families who are being called to adopt and foster, lift up their arms like Aaron and Hur did for Moses in the wilderness and really be a community of support. And so I would just tell any listener right now that says, you know what, I'm not called to foster care. I would find that person in your church or in your community or in your sphere of influence that is called to foster care. And I would ask how you can serve them. I would wrap around them. I would care for them because together as a community, we are fighting for the hearts and the minds and the lives of these children. You mentioned you visited a local church. Uh, Let's talk about the church in America. Do you find that they're advocating for a foster care and adoption or are they defaulting to ministries like yours? to build that awareness, that biblical awareness to how we should care for the orphan and the foster care families? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a balance of both. Uh, I, I have been very encouraged, especially over the last decade, as to how many churches are regularly bringing a part of their uh, preaching um, of their teaching from God's word to really stir the hearts and minds of those uh, in their congregation to this call of biblical justice to the orphan and the vulnerable. And, you know, I think not just, I think the thing that that so many times churches are scared of is this idea of social justice. But but really what I'm, I've been encouraged is seeing so many churches that are leaning into what I would call biblical justice, gospel-driven justice, where we're doing justice to the orphan, to the vulnerable, because of the gospel and the reality of salvation in us, where we realize that that we were vulnerable and Christ came and sought us, but also they're doing it in, in mission. And so we never need to divorce the gospel from our justice. If we're doing justice, but we're not doing it in the name of Christ Jesus, if we're doing justice, but we're not also helping introduce those that are vulnerable, the vulnerable child, the vulnerable woman, the vulnerable family, back to the author, creator, and sustainer of their soul, then then we're really not doing much at all. And so I've been excited to see churches wake up to this idea to see that, hey, our gospel-driven justice is a mission field. It's a, it's a part of our calling. It's a part of the great commission. And it's ultimately an expression of, of, of the grace that we experience because of our salvation. So you have so many churches now that are coming and they're saying, hey, to an organization like ours and saying, this is our heart. This is what we're doing. Help us do what we're not doing or help us help us kickstart and, and make this better or to make this more efficient or more effective. And then we're still very encouraged by churches that are calling and saying, hey, we're, we're not doing anything, but we realize we need to do something. And so Lifeline, how can you step in and equip our people and equip our, our, our team to really do something uh, that is impactful, both for the gospel, but also in the lives and the hearts of, of vulnerable children and vulnerable families? So I, I would even say, Dennis, in, in a since June, 
I have uh, I have been overwhelmed, but also encouraged by the number of churches that are now stepping up and saying, okay, you know, in my state, we either have a restriction or we have a, you know, a, a shutdown on the abortion industry. What can we do for moms and children? I, I have been absolutely encouraged by how many churches are saying, hey, we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit, but we're really going to live out this pro-life ministry. How can we be helping kids in foster care? How can we help that single mom that's just found out that she's pregnant? And how can we help that child that is now being born? And, and maybe even that's helping that mom and that child survive. What can we do to really live out our pro-life convictions? Now, while I argue we should have been doing this before June, it's still encouraging that this has been uh, a, a linchpin that's really woken the church up to say, okay, now what? What can we do now? Very good. And if you're listening to this podcast, I encourage you to leave us some comments as well as forward this on to those you know that are interested in adoption or foster care or forward it to your church. And then also, I encourage you to get on their website, Lifeline Child. Dot org, And there's many more statistics, there's a lot of research, there's ways you can be involved individually, as well as ways that uh, your, your circle of friends or your church, your, your uh, community group at church, uh, your adult Bible fellowship, ways that you guys can be involved in what uh, uh, Lifeline Children's Services are doing across the country. Uh, you're an advocate in Washington, D.C. as well, and I know there's bipartisan support for what you're doing. Just talk to us a little bit about that advocacy you're doing. Yeah, so I think one of the most encouraging parts about advocacy for children and families and adoption is that uh, there's not a lot of bipartisan support when it comes to things in Washington, D.C., but one of the things that's bringing, you know, Democrats, Republicans, who have a very different ideology together is this idea of adoption. And so one of the things currently that we've been advocating in D.C. for is there are over 400 kids that are waiting for their families to come get them in China. So these were these were kids that were legally adopted before the pandemic. Uh, their families were about to go get them and bring them home. And then COVID shut travel down to China and China still hasn't opened back up. And a couple of a months ago, I was actually in D.C. And it, it was so encouraging to be able to meet with, you know, someone like Senator Amy Klobuchar and then, uh, you know, someone like Marco Rubio, who are extremely uh, different in their policies and their politics and their I ideology. Yet we're coming together in this idea of how can we help? You've got someone like James Lankford, who in Oklahoma, who is a, a youth pastor, um, an evangelical believer, who's having Bible studies in his office. And you've got other, um, you know, secular like like Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, who are coming together and saying how how can we help and 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 really lobby to do something to bring these kids home from uh, China, but also to to make adoption more affordable and and more accessible for children here in the United States. And so, uh, yeah, you know, that's probably one of the most encouraging things. And even to see the way that they're working together, you know, um, while I, I might disagree on a lot with, with Senator Klobuchar, one of the, the things that her office and, and, and she agreed to do was to go to the administration and say, hey, we've got to get these kids home from China. She realized they had control at the White House. And so it was her responsibility uh, to kind of move in. The other thing that was just a real blessing is in September of every year, uh, the Congressional Coalition on Adoption does their Angel on Adoption celebration 
and you have, you know, congressmen like uh, congressmen from from my state, uh, Robert Adderholt, who is there. You have congressmen on the other side of the aisle that are there, senators on both sides of the aisle, there to celebrate what the fabric of adoption in our nation. And so even in a month of November, National Adoption Month, we really see uh, we see this idea of, of, of this bipartisan support for really wrapping around uh, orphan and vulnerable children. Now, real quick, Dennis, and, and this is more ideological. Another thing, though, that we are lobbying for is as a ministry, we're ultimately about family. And I think we have to realize that, you know, with adoption, it's really putting together in a restorative way and reconciliation way uh, what God meant, which was for children to be in families and for families to be uh, the, the source of human flourishing. But one of the things we're having to advocate for constantly in D.C. is the realignment and the rearrangement and the redefinition of the family. And I think that's one of the most important things before us right now. And I would just encourage those that are listening to this podcast, we need to be praying for our leaders. Uh, we need to be praying for them to make decisions. We need to be praying, especially for those that agree with us on the biblical definition of marriage, that they wouldn't compromise, um, that they wouldn't uh, make try to try to gain political momentum by giving up, but that they would truly stand firm in, in what marriage looks like and in, in advocating for this traditional family. Because I can tell you, one of the main reasons mamas who find themselves pregnant or going through an unplanned crisis pregnancy choose adoption is because they see the value of their child having both a male and a female, a mom and a dad active and present in their life. And, you know, through doing this ministry for 20 years, I can tell you the greatest gift a child can get is to get that nurture, that support, that love, and that encouragement from a mom, but also to get the, the drive and, and the self-worth and the image of a father that's encouraging them, that's that's bringing, that's welling up greatness in them, uh, a father that's defending his daughters and championing his sons, a mom that is teaching her daughter how to be a godly woman and, and giving her son what he needs and encouragement and love. God made the family for human, for human flourishing. And we ultimately Amen. also advocate that the that, that, that family is not redefined in our country. Very good. And for the person listening that's been on the peripheral, really hasn't been involved, hasn't been informed, what would you suggest as a starting point to become informed about adoption and foster care? Where do they start? Uh, where do they go on your website to get informed? Because I think information is key as they start this process. Absolutely. You know, as you said, anyone can go to lifelinechild.org and up there at the menu item, you're going to see an about us. And there's a lot of history, not just about Lifeline, but about adoption. What is adoption? Um, we we have a lot of things even called myths about adoption. Uh, you can read on our pregnancy page, even as to how to begin ministering to a woman who's going through an unplanned pregnancy. What are some questions you can ask? What are some ways that you can meet um, not just her felt needs, but her tangible needs? You know, that's a great place. I'd also would just say adoptioncouncil.org, the National Council for Adoption. They have some really great information just about the history of adoption in our country and maybe some of the mechanics of adoption. And you can either link there from our page. It's the National Council for Adoption, straight at lifelinechild.org, or you can go to adoptioncouncil.org. Those are two just great resources. And then as you kind of get to know and you get that information, 
The next place that I would just really impress upon believers is to pray. And I know a lot of times it's it's trite and we say, well, just pray, but we really do need to pray. Um, we need to pray for these children around the world. You know, my, my wife really impressed this upon my heart several years ago when we were actually leaving the room of our girls and she she was crying. And I said, you know, babe, what's what's wrong? Is, is everything OK? And she said, it just really struck me. The spirit of the Lord really struck me that every night we're praying over and for our children. But who who is praying over and for the 153 million orphans around the world and and all of these children in U.S. foster care? And we really need to stir people up to pray, to pray specifically, you know, and, and we may not know their name, but we're praying to a God that knows their name. And so I would just say, start just to pray, hey, Lord, what are the vulnerable children in my neighborhood, in my zip code? Lord, would you would you be with them tonight? Would you press yourself upon their heart? Would you help them to, to know that you are God and that you are good and that you love them and that you are a defender of the fatherless and a protector of the widow? We need to be praying for those in our community, in our state, in our country, and around the world. And so uh, there's ways that, that we have prayer guides, even on our website, that you can begin praying for orphans around the world. We need to pray for the God of heaven, who is the father to the fatherless, for him to, to act in, in, in great ways. We have the power and the, the access to our father because of our spiritual adoption. The author creator in the universe has access to his throne room, and we cannot take that lightly. But then I would encourage people to take the next and maybe even a more dangerous step is as they're praying for the children in their zip code and around the world, that they would start to ask the Lord and be careful because he will answer this prayer. What would you have me do? And, you know, for that answer is going to be different for a lot of different people. For some, it's going to be adoption. For some, it's going to be, I've been called to support a mom that's walking through a crisis pregnancy. For some, it might be, I've been called to go and support this foster or adoptive family. There may be a, 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 a plethora of ways that the Lord calls you, but then be faithful to what he leads you to do because he will lead you when you ask humbly, God, how am I supposed to care for orphans and vulnerable children and vulnerable women uh, with my own life? Very good. And give your uh, website again so everybody has that website, and we'll put it in the notes uh, well as for this podcast. And then you are also host a podcast yourself on these issues. So what is that podcast uh, title that people can join that podcast? Absolutely. So you can always find us at lifelinechild.org. So that's lifelinechild.org. And again, all of the informations and links that we've talked about, you'll be able to find on that website. If you want to find us on social media, which we do have a little bit of a different content on social media at all of the platforms, again, it's Lifeline Child. So if you remember lifelinechild.org, Lifeline Child on social media, you're going to find it. And then certainly we have a podcast called The Defender Podcast. And really that podcast is to help those who want to get engaged, take those next steps, but also to really re resource and help and encourage those who are in the midst of, of adoption and orphan care ministry. So it's The Defender Podcast. And then I, we actually have a second podcast as well, where we're actually taking these issues and looking at them from a biblical worldview, a biblical, like going to God's word and saying, this is what God's word tells us. And that's called the Defender Bible Study. So the Defender Podcast and the Defender Bible Study. I encourage our listeners to check those out. And again, uh, thank you, Herbie, for coming on the Unconventional Ministry Podcast and helping us understand adoption and foster care and uh, this National Month of Awareness uh, for adoption. So again, thank you for joining the podcast. Dennis, always a pleasure. Uh, grateful for your audience and grateful for you. 
In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7, as a broadcast media ministry, is changing how ministry is done. Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.